We're going to be in two, I guess three passages. They're in your bulletin. If you want to open your own Bible, we'll be in Genesis 3, Matthew 4, and then 1 Peter 5. We're in the second week of a short series about knowing our, our enemy. And this morning's title is, Who is Satan? We're going to look to God's word to answer that question. Genesis 3 is where we're introduced to him if we're reading the Bible from beginning to end. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now from Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And from First Peter, near the end of his epistle, chapter 5, 8, and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would protect us, that you would clear our minds from many things that could be distracting us, and that you would enable us, Holy Spirit, to hear and to see, to feel, to think. If we are not in Christ, that you would even right now, during this time, save us, rescue us. If we've known you a long time or just a little, that we would see what your word says about our enemy and about the battle that we're in. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Why is marriage so hard? Why did I spend 
two hours Friday with a man who I did the wedding 14 months before, and she has said, I'm done. Not members of this church. Why did I spend earlier in the week with a couple that was much further down the road? There are lots of reasons we can point to. But before we answer that, why is it hard to just live this life? Why is it hard to to sit in a congregation where people look so put together and there are so many couples that look put together and you're struggling with loneliness because you're not yet married and you want to be or you were married and you, you lost your husband or you lost your wife or you look at the children and you remember when you were sitting here with your little ones and now your little ones aren't to be found in a church anywhere. They have left the faith. Why is it so hard to go to work, to not let work become an idol, to not let the money you make become an idol? Why is it so hard to think about our nation and the nations of other other countries' governments? Why is it so hard for people to be loving and, and kind Consider it. The word of God always takes us deeper than what the symptoms are. I love the way they ended. You know, it's not really just a marriage issue, and it's not really just a parenting issue, and it's not just being single issue. It's not just being lonely issue. There's, there's something deeper there always is. And many in the world and many religions in the world seek to give an answer, and so does ours. Our answer is in the word of God from the beginning to the end. We believe that all of this is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness from a God who really does tell us how we are to live in him And he also tells us we won't, that we will wander. And that when we do, his arms will be open to welcome us back. But the battle is real, and he speaks of the battle. The battle he speaks of in his word is an invisible battle that has very visible and tangible results. We see the reality of this enemy all around us. Broken governments, broken homes, broken churches, breaking bodies, rebellious children, not just young but old, devastating loneliness, devastating disease, addiction, drugs, alcohol, pornography, We live in a pornographic culture where Brian Chappell, who was the Covenant Seminary professor and president, said sexual sin has become a common cold in the church. Anxiety. Oh, we're anxious. Then the works meant to alleviate those things and materialism and greed and idolatry. Underneath all of it, 
is evil ideas and evil actions from an evil enemy that is real, that is roaming and seeking someone to devour. Well, you're someone. I'm someone. My children are someone. Your children are someone. Your grandchildren are someone. Your spouse is someone. And for those who are in Christ and for those who aren't, he really seeks to devour. C.S. Lewis, and many of you have heard this quote that he wrote at the introduction of the Screwtape Letters, says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And it makes sense. If you have an enemy and you can convince the enemy that you don't exist, wonderful. But at the same time, if you can cause your enemy to take their eyes off of their greatest source of power, their greatest source of connection, their greatest source of knowledge, well done. Most of you know I spent much of this year and even months before thinking and praying about this topic. Why? Because of what I see. What I see in me and what I feel coming against me, in my family, in this church, and in our community. The volume, the variety, the intensity of brokenness. Underneath all of it, evil ideas and evil actions. For many of us, it's not a problem to believe that the spiritual realm and the spiritual war exist because we believe the Bible, and the Bible says he's real. The Bible says he's roaming. The Bible says he seeks to devour someone, and you're someone. So our problem really isn't that we don't believe in it. We just perhaps aren't believing in it enough. The temptation does become for some Christians to be fixated on it. I will tell you for me, and I think a lot of it has to do with the way you prayed for me, that has never been the issue. My eyes have not been fixed on Satan or on demons or even really on what the Word of God says about it only. My eyes have been fixed on Jesus, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, the profound mystery of my union with Christ. I have learned more about Jesus and about the Father and the Holy Spirit than ever in my life as I've sought to understand what he, the holy triune God, says about this enemy. That's remarkable, and I'm grateful. But Wayne Grudem says, much of our Western secularized society is unwilling to admit the existence of demon, except perhaps in primitive societies. And we relegate in the West all talk of demonic activity to the category of superstition. This is true. It happens when missionaries come. And not often from the pulpit when a missionary might be preaching, but maybe in smaller settings, they talk about demons. 
They talk about the things that they see on the mission field. Some of you go on the mission field and you've seen some of that stuff too. But for some reason we think that he's not here. That that enemy is not at work in our presence. But he is. There's no reason to believe that he's less active now than at any other time in history. And I think the evidence is clear. Jill Briscoe, the wife of Stuart Briscoe, well-known pastor, and she's well-known too, noted author, very godly woman, was flying back to the United States on 9-11. When the attacks took place, her flight was diverted to Iceland. She was there for two days, waiting for the opportunity to make it back to the United States. While in the airport, she befriended a young female American soldier who looked very distraught. She moved in to talk with this young woman about what was troubling her. And the young soldier said, I did not join the army to go to war. We as Christians have never not been in the war. We are not civilians in peacetime. What's hard for us right now is to realize that most of the church in the history of the church has known that and lived that. But out of common grace and a a common morality, there has been so much freedom in this country that's changing now, that we have not experienced what many other countries have and are. But that's changing, and we know it, because that invisible war is made visible in that way. We are not civilians in peacetime, none of us. We are soldiers, beloved daughters and beloved sons of the living God, who tells us from the beginning of his word to the end that there is a real battle. The enemy is roaming and he seeks to devour you and your children. In a book titled, Your Adversary, the Devil, well-known Dallas Theological Seminary professor, Dwight Pentecost, I love his last name, wrote in about 1968 or 69, at a time when more was being written from evangelical authors like Donald Greyhouse in a book called The Invisible War. Anyway, Pentecost says this in his introduction. No military commander could expect to be victorious in battle unless he understood the enemy. Should he prepare for an attack by land and ignore the possibility that the enemy might approach by air or by sea, he would open the way to defeat Or should he prepare for a land and sea attack and ignore the possibility of an attack through the air? He would certainly jeopardize the campaign. No individual can be victorious against the adversary, our adversary, the devil, unless he understands that adversary. 
unless he understands his philosophy, his methods of operation, his methods of temptation. We hear very little today about Satan, and consequently many who recognize Satan's existence and acknowledge that he is the enemy of their souls are ill-prepared to meet him. We are ignorant of the nature of this one who comes knocking at our heart's door. We do not know what scripture teaches about his person, his methods, his plans, his program, his devices. Consequently, we fall in defeat. He does not mean ultimate defeat for the believer, but defeat in the daily battles which we feel and experience. So, who is he? We need to know him. But how we learn about him is very important. First of all, the Bible speaks to who he is. It doesn't answer every question we have. And when the Bible doesn't answer a question, it's dangerous for us to make up our own. Where there is conjecture, we need to call it conjecture. And that's true of many things beyond Satan. It's true of heaven and all sorts of other parts of God's revealed word. But he reveals enough. And he reveals enough with clarity that we can leave saying, I'm confident that this is what God says about this enemy who is real, who's roaming, who seeks to devour us. The Old Testament reveals Satan's existence in eight books. There are 27 different Old Testament occurrences that reference Satan in those eight books. In the New Testament, every author or every writer of those books there are 27 New Testament books. Every writer mentions Satan. 19 out of the 27 mention Satan. Paul wrote more than one. He wrote 13. Not all of his letters mention Satan. But every New Testament writer does. And there are 74 occasions in the New Testament where Satan is referenced. But where does he first appear? If you open the Bible to Genesis, and you're beginning to read, you come to chapter 3, and you see the first introduction. Go there in the bulletin or in your own Bible. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Well, let's just stop there. Who is Satan? First, Satan is a creature. He was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Satan is not eternal in the sense that he has always existed. He was created by God like other angels, only a very high angel like Michael, the archangel. He was created to bring God glory. He was created to bring him praise. He was created like all the angels were for that purpose. But because of pride, because of the attempt to be equal to God in status and authority, because of a desire to seek 
the glory then and now that was only due God, the word tells us that he and legions of angels, meaning many, 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 fell. And those are the demons in which Satan is the prince of demons. So what do you need to know first about Satan? Who is he? He was created. Jesus in Colossians 1 is described by God this way through the Apostle Paul. This is amazing. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Remember that. Jesus is the head of his church. And this very real enemy was created. What that means is that Satan, in all of his attributes, in all the names that are given to him, was created. He then fell along with all of the demons, the angels that were fallen. There are 29 different names and or attributes given to Satan in the Old and New Testament. I'm going to read a few. Accuser, adversary, angel of the bottomless pit, Beelzebul, devil, dragon, enemy, evil one, father of lies, god of this world, liar, murderer, prince of the demons, prince of the power of the air, roaring lion, Satan, ruler of this world, serpent, spirit, strongman, tempter, and more. These different titles represent, represent his character also. And this is all throughout scripture. Now, while it's important for us to know who he is, what names are present, what are his attributes, it's actually more important for us to know who he is not, or what he is not. And this, this morning, is what we're going to close with. Satan is not all-knowing, omniscient. Satan is not omnipresent, all-present. Satan is not omnipotent, all-powerful. Satan is not equal to God. We, as Christians, do not believe in dualism. The idea that there is a, a good force and an evil force, and they're battling it out, and hopefully the good side wins. 
That's not scriptural. Satan is not God. And he is not on equal ground with God. He is powerful. He is deceptive. He's smart. He's clever. But he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know everything about you. He doesn't know all your thoughts. He's not omniscient. God, who lives inside all who profess faith in Jesus, lacks no knowledge of you or your children or grandchildren or anyone or anything. He is omniscient. When you're frustrated about something, he is not. When you're confused about something, he is not. There's nothing God can ever learn that's omniscient. Satan is not omniscient. God is all-powerful, and Satan is not. The power that resides in you because you're in Christ is more powerful than the power that Satan possesses. It's his resurrection power. Satan is not, like many people believe, everywhere present. So the only correction I would have in Dr. Pentecost's intro is that you're likely never to meet Satan face to face. He is not omnipresent. But there are so many demons that are real, that are roaming, that seek to devour. And he's the prince one. Christians have the confidence that who we are in Christ gives us everything we need to do to do what Jesus did when he resisted Satan. What I want you to do is I want you to look this week at Genesis 3. And I want you to look at Matthew 4. And I want you to look at the way in which Satan, in terms of his schemes, strategies, snares, how he comes at Eve and the first Adam, and how he comes at Jesus, the second Adam. And Sunday, a week from the day, that's what we're going to pick up. How is this one seeking to attack us? And his primary way of doing it is present in Genesis 3, and it's present in Matthew 4. Between now and then, think deeply when you see the brokenness around you and within you. Think deeply about an issue that's under the surface of that, that is centered on this evil one, his evil ideas and his, e and his evil actions. And then, and even while you're doing that, fix your eyes on the cross. 
Because there's when the second Adam in full obedience to the Father proclaims and accomplishes the victory that we are all living from, not for. Let's pray. Jesus, you did defeat our enemy. You said it is finished. Yet he still roams and he is very real and he seeks to devour. But you're with us and you're leading us and you will never forsake us. And the song, Lord, that we close with reminds us from the past to the present to the future of your faithfulness. Oh, Lord, would you use these words to inspire in us a greater courage of trust in you as we engage in this battle, not as civilians in peacetime, but as your soldiers in this very real war. We pray in your holy name. Amen.